our next guest is really, I'm really very, very happy to have her here in studio. She's one of America's most well-known and well-respected criminal defense attorneys, and I would say probably the most accomplished death penalty lawyer in the country. She was dubbed the Angel of Death Row by the Chicago Tribune. Uh, she, For 19 times, she represented a client convicted and, and of capital murder, and 19 times she has argued for that individual's life to be spared, and 19 times she has succeeded. She's the author of many books, uh, including Angel of Death Row, which I just finished on my vacation, an excellent read, uh, entertaining and educating and, and uplifting. And her most recent one is Fixing Legal Injustice in America. And so uh, welcome to the show, Andrea. Well, thank you for having me. So, you know, I, I have to ask this question. I, I, as you know, I have done my share of criminal defense work. Yes. Um, but I get, I get this question all the time, and I think I'd like to hear it coming from your more eloquent uh, voice here. You know, there's so much crime in the city, and people are talking about the crime, and it's not safe, and there's carjackings, and there's murders. It must be hard for you at this time to clamor for justice when people want to lock everyone up because they think it makes everybody safe. Um, tell us tell us why you do what you do and why it's so important to fight for your clients who are accused of crimes. Well, there's a lot of answers to those questions, and certainly there are the civics answer. Everyone has a right to a trial. Everyone has a right to good representation. But if you're asking me um, how it feels to be in the line of fire uh, on behalf of a client charged with a serious crime. I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. It's not easy because people are frightened. And when people are frightened, their instinct is to lash out, to lock up, and to forget that there's a cost that we all pay for simply hiding and burying the problems that cause us to have the violence we have in this country. Some of them come from the ease with which we get guns. And, you know, God knows we've been seeing that recently. Um, certainly in Highland Park, uh, just horrifying. And it also comes from our inability to understand that unless you address the system that creates inequality and hopelessness, you will never, ever get rid of crime. You have to start before the crimes happen, not after. You, uh, there's so much to talk about. Um, you, I, I want to talk a little bit about rampant bias and prejudice. In your book, Angel of Death Row, you talk about the prejudice on the part of judges, prosecutors, even your co-workers, and sometimes even your clients. And when you were a young uh, lawyer, uh, you were subjected to misogynistic kinds of comments that were almost unbelievable if I had not had some of that same stuff going on in my life, okay? Um, have we come a long way in the last 30 or 40 years when it comes to equality in the workplace and in what you do for a living? Well, we certainly are. There are a lot more women and there's a lot more diversity just generally in the profession and in both criminal prosecution and defense. And so that's a good thing. In some ways, um, a lot of this ends up being less visible, but still there, Um if a judge addresses me, and I think you're probably talking about the judge who, when I walked into his courtroom, said, what are you doing here? Don't you know I don't like women lawyers? And, oh and, um, Hello to you, too, yeah, Your Honor. Actually, that's what I said. Good morning to you, too, <laughs> sir. Um, but, you know, and, and that was very unpleasant. It was a very difficult trial, all of the rest of that. That being said, at least I knew who was on the bench. 
I knew who I was dealing with, and I knew that I could not count on him in any kind of way to do any kind of justice for my African-American client. And so it was, you know, no holds barred, a fight. And in some ways that is refreshing in the sense that when someone speaks to you as though they're you're stupid or they're surprised you've read a case or know the statute, because, you know, how would I busy my pretty little head about, you know, things like that. And I've had people actually say that sort of stuff to me, if you can believe it. Um, and that is harder to deal with because it's patronizing and it's, you know, the, the much maligned word microaggressions that are very, very difficult to deal with. That being said, um, I believe in naming what I see in, in court. There's a, there's a myth that um, if you know the true name of a dragon, you have power over it. And it has been my experience, if I will say that I see racist behavior in court, say it out loud. Nobody likes it. Nobody is very happy with me. But if I say it and name it, we can do something about it, at least in that one case. That makes sense. Um, you, you know, in your book, you talk about representing unpopular defendants and people who are accused of horrendous crimes, uh, some, some of whom didn't do the crime at all. You, you, and I'm just going to quickly talk about that. I'm going to entice people to read this book. Uh, a woman was accused of killing her, her young uh, child and uh, was charged with first degree murder. And when you got down to the bottom of it and you went and you went to the babysitter and you went to the family and you, you, you turn, unturned all the stone, overturned all the stones and you you found that the babysitter had let the child maybe walk down the stairs. The child fell and and fell and hurt herself. I think it was a girl, right? Yes, a little girl. A little girl. And then there was some delayed medical attention because nobody knew what it was. And by the time they got to the hospital, there was resuscitation. And that might have exacerbated the, the injury. And it turns out she didn't do anything to harm her child. And you got her off on an acquittal where she could have, I don't know, was it a death penalty case? It was. Or, it, it could technically have been a death penalty yeah. case, but they weren't seeking the death penalty. Yeah. So, case. so I mean, you you got to the bottom of it, and you got to the truth. And again, people are going to say, "Well, Karen and Andrea, that's just really doesn't happen very often." I mean, tell us, tell us what you think. Well, I, you you want to believe that the system gets the right person, um, and and to a large extent, it does. But it gets the wrong person a lot, um, a lot more than anybody would think. Uh, when I was uh, uh, running the Death Penalty Resource Center here in Illinois, when we still had the death penalty, I was running the agency that represented people who had been uh, convicted and sentenced to death by juries and whose uh, sentences and convictions had been affirmed by the Illinois Supreme Court. And we were reinvestigating the case to see if there were any constitutional violations that we could present in state or federal court. It, the fancy word for it is collateral remedies. And I figured maybe we'd have a case where they had the wrong guy. But <laughs> we had a lot of cases where they had the wrong guy. Uh, I mean, in Illinois, we executed 12 and exonerated 19 from death row. I, that's just astoundingly bad. That and would be bad for the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just astoundingly yeah. bad. And and. There were lots of reasons why uh, prosecutors cheating 
violating their obligation to turn over evidence was one of them. Ineffective lawyering was another. Uh, racist jury selection was another. There were lots of reasons why these cases turned out to just be the wrong person altogether. And if you do not have a robust and well-equipped defense, then what you end up with is a wrongful conviction, perhaps a wrongful execution like we've had in Texas, uh, you know, and uh, a, a wrongful conviction lawsuit, millions of dollars, you know, hundreds of years of, of people spending time in prison for something they didn't do. If we ne- What we need to do is address systemically the fact that the odds are stacked against anyone who's charged with a crime immediately, innocent or guilty. We're talking to Andrea Lyons here on WGN. If you have any comments or questions for her, please give us a call. 312-981-7200. We'll be back in a minute. We're talking to Andrea Lyon, who is the most accomplished death penalty lawyer in the nation. She was dubbed the angel of death row by the Chicago Tribune. She's a noted speaker, author, and of course, amazing trial attorney and also appellate attorney. Uh, She's got it all here today. And you know, in your book, you talk a little bit about being oppositional. Those are your words, not mine. Tell me, tell me, is is that part of your personality? And did that kind of throw thrust you into this, this role that you have taken for indigent clients? I would say that that's definitely true. Um, I am oppositional, and I do question everything, uh, much to the annoyance many times at the dinner table of my parents. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Argue with them all the time. But um, part of it is also I just have an innate desire to help the underdog. It's just just baked into my bones. I mean, I literally – my. When I would come home as a little girl and I would say, Mom, in a certain way, she'd shout down the stairs, four legs or two, <laughs> because I had brought something home. One time, an entire box of puppies um, that, had been, that was out there with like free puppies, you know. And so she said, you know, ask me how what, what had happened. I said that they followed me home. And she said, in the box? <laughs> Clever puppies. So, um, yes, that, that is that is the way that I am. But I think that that is a very important thing that we need in our country is someone to say, let's not just go along with what is out here. Let's ask questions. Let's push back. Let's try to be fair. You know, I want to talk a little bit about um, your latest book, Fixing Legal Injustice in America. In that book, you advocate for the creation of an office of Defender General of the United States, um, which would be sort of like the equivalent of the Attorney General or the Solicitor General, but instead it would be dedicated toward the defense side of these kinds of criminal cases. Can you elaborate a little bit on why, what you have in mind and why you think it's necessary? Well, one thing that is clear is that in our history, we have never had anyone at the policy table who's represented the little guy. Um, you know, the person who's charged, the person who is uh, is injured, the person who's been mistreated by the police. We always have the Department of Justice Attorney General, which is a prosecutorial agency. We, we have uh, politicians, but there's never anyone there to talk about what the impact of this is going to be on the poor and those who get accused and those who get swept up uh, in in police sweeps and all those kinds of things. And we need that. We need to have someone whose job it is to make sure that justice is done from both sides, which means that we need to have standards of representation 
do you know that in there was a study done that in New Orleans that the average amount of time a public defender spends, including trial on a misdemeanor, including trial, is seven minutes. Well, because we are unwilling to fund and we're unwilling to hold to any kind of standards uh, our public defense function. Um, it's you're just supposed to be the second wheel on the bicycle wheeling your client off to jail. And I'm not saying some clients shouldn't plead guilty or that's not the right thing to do. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, is that if you do not have the resources to challenge the evidence, adequately with sufficient investigation and the appropriate experts were needed, etc. At trial, you're going to end up with all of these wrongful convictions and all of the distrust that in particular our poor and minority um, uh, citizens feel towards the system because they feel like just arrest somebody and that's good enough, good enough for government work. I have to say, you know, Katanji uh, Jackson Brown was just sworn in on the Supreme Court yes. uh, in this last week. And, you know, I watched some of the Senate hearings and she was just given so much grief by the the mere fact that she was a public defender. Yes. And she that was her job. She was tasked with representing people who could not afford uh, legal representation, and yet she was almost being accused of, I don't know exactly what, but but being on the side of crime, <clears throat> I guess. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, do, do you see this, this kind of treatment of people who represent, I mean, yourself included, who represent uh, defendants as being kind of demonized in this society? And I, I don't know if it's because there's so much crime that people feel like they need to demonize somebody? Well, I think that's part of it. Um, I, I also um, have been treated because primarily what I've uh, cases I've tried in my in my career have been homicide cases. I have often been treated as though um, I committed the murder my client is right. charged with, or like I'm in favor of murder. You know, like <laughs> right. I think murder is a good idea, and. That's not, of course, where I am. I'm in favor of the state or the government meeting their burden of proof with, you know, uh, honestly and legally obtained evidence. And if they're not able to do that, they shouldn't get the conviction. That is the law. And that is what we're founded on. But I do find that you do get demonized and that people want to yell at you about crime. When they ask me, how can I represent those people, you know, in quotes, first of all, an awful lot of the time, what they mean by that is not white people. Um, and uh, that's very clear from the different way we've responded to the opioid drug pro- uh, uh, problem, as opposed to crack cocaine. Crack cocaine was a moral failing. Op- opioid addiction is an illness because white people do it. That's You can try to take race out of this conversation, but you really cannot. And that is sadly the truth and so she was being spoken to the way that someone who thinks that representing someone in a court of law means you're voting for murder and that's just ridiculous but it is an easy conflation to make and people do um you know i'm I'm somewhere and people know what i do for a living sometimes they will ask me how i can represent those people and they honestly want to know how i feel about it if i find it difficult at any time which of course Anyone finds any job difficult at some times, right. right? And there's clients I like and clients I can't stand and clients I'm kind of in the middle about, and that's just the way it is. But a lot of times they just want to yell at me about crime and as though having a trial is a way of encouraging crime, which is silly, 
really. You represented uh, Casey Anthony, or you were on the team yes. for a period of time, uh, and uh, you talk in your book, um, Angel of Death Row, about how you were actually attacked a couple of times when you were down in Florida uh, doing your job. And Why do you think, I take it, you were the only one on the team that were attacked? Uh, I, nobody else was physically attacked, no. Yeah. And, and, what, and to what do you attribute that? Um anger, uh, um, wanting to strike out my thinking that it was (laughs) safe to go and interview my client's third grade teacher and that I didn't need to worry about dogs being set on me. Um, I've had, it it was, it was very unpleasant. Um, Some of the the mail that I got, we had somebody who traveled all the way here to Chicago, but went to the DePaul Lincoln Park campus by mistake instead of to the law school where I was teaching at the time um, with a knife. to, I guess, kill me. I don't know. Um, And I think that uh, the fact that I would stand up for this woman who was being demonized as well and being demonized, you know, perhaps uh, being attacked for the charges is understandable, but being attacked for her sexuality, um, as Geraldo said on one of his shows, she's a slut, she should die. Well, that's uh, yeah. coming from, from coming from Geraldo. I yes. would consider that source. Yes, um, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Um, just quickly, we have a few minutes, and then we're going to take you into the next uh, hour for, for just a little bit, because I do want to talk about some of the uh, issues now that over, uh, Roe versus Wade has been overturned. In your book, Angel of Death Row, you talk about having empathy and that women have that's not that they have uh, all the empathy in the world, but but women tend to have more empathy. I, I and I would agree with you. And how how does that help you? And how did that help you in all of these cases where you have a criminal defendant charged and convicted with a horrible crime? It's not just a murder; it's a capital murder, which has extenuating circumstances. And each time, a hundred percent of the time, you argued and you won for life rather than death. How did empathy? work and play into your representation? Well, the first thing is, uh, people ask me what my greatest strength is, I would say empathy. And if they ask me what my greatest weakness is, I would say the same thing. Um, And I need to be able to empathize with my client, how he or she got to the place in their life that they did what they did. But I also need to empathize with other people in the room, too. Um, It there's a, a victim's family, you know, parents or loved ones, and they're hurt, and they deserve my empathy and my respect too. And I think when I tell my client's story in a way that the jury, which is a conservative jury, it's only people who believe in the death penalty can be on the jury. Right. So it's not it's not liberals there. When I talk to the jury about how important childhood is, how terrible it is to put your child on the back porch in the winter to sleep with nothing, not a blanket, nothing, at three. When I tell them how that froze his ability to be emotionally connected, to feel that anyone or anything cared. The only thing he could talk to were dogs. There were wild dogs. And the dogs took care of him. 
they, he would sleep underneath piled up dogs. Does that mean that what he did was okay? That he bears no responsibility? No. But it does mean that we could choose a punishment that recognizes that his humanity was blunted, was twisted by his terrible childhood and his his physical challenges. He had some physical challenges as well. And when you talk to people and have them understand and be able to walk in the shoes a little bit of what that's like, and you're not asking them to send him home, you're asking him to give him the opportunity for redemption. And I'm telling you, I have seen redemption way too often not to know that it can happen. We're talking to Andrea Line. We have to take a break, but we're going to come back and talk some more, and we'll be taking your legal questions at about 4.15. You're listening to The Karen Conti Show on WGN. I'm honored to have Andrea Lyon here in studio talking about her very accomplished career over over 30 years of representing criminal defendants and making a difference in people's lives. Uh, Andrea, you, we were talking a little bit about now that Roe versus Wade is overturned, you have some serious concerns about the criminal defense um, system when it comes to women. Can you tell us a little bit about what your concerns are and what your role is and what you're trying to do? Um, I am part of a committee for the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers um, on the criminalization of reproductive rights. Uh, We not only fear, we know for sure that um, with the overturning of Roe that there will be prosecutions of women for uh, abortions, uh, for seeking abortion pills, um, or for just having a miscarriage um that the use of uh, of apps like you know period tracking apps that that prosecutors will start to use those to try to um go after these women and their health care providers and anyone else who helps them um the the laws in texas and oklahoma uh are particularly concerning because they say that life occurs is is present at conception, which means if a woman uses birth control, uses an IUD, she could be committing a crime as well. Um, There is a a fear that not only are we losing Roe versus Wade, but we're going to lose Griswold as well, the right to contraception, um, and that there will be prosecutions of women. And for those who doubt that, um, there have been well over a thousand prosecutions of women who have lost their children, either to stillbirth or miscarriage or um, in some other kind of way, um, as criminal prosecutions for having illegally tried to end their own pregnancy. And that happens primarily in the South and primarily in rural areas, but it happens in California, too. And it is our concern that we're going to see a lot of people getting prosecuted um, under murder statutes for having a miscarriage um, and that these cases are going to fall onto public defenders, onto people who are representing poor people, because the people that are going to get prosecuted are going to be people who cannot afford to get on an airplane and go someplace where they can get an abortion legally. And so... This is going to impact um, everyone, and it requires an enormous amount of skill and experience to represent someone in these cases because you have to understand understand a lot of science, a lot of perinatal 
science, which is uh, not easy, and because uh, there is su- it is such an emotional subject for so many people that picking a jury is going to be extremely challenging, uh, particularly in jurisdictions that are filled with a lot of hate just now. Um, and so for this reason, NACDL and, and the committee that I, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of, uh, we are creating a, essentially a clearinghouse to help people that are charged to find lawyers, to find resources, to um, we hope to raise enough money to be able to hire a full-time person to monitor these cases and to make sure that they are getting the resources that they need, given that counties don't give them as a general matter, which comes right back to why we need a defender general, obviously. But um, that is, that's the work that we're doing uh, right now. And um, if you look at the Texas law about aiding a woman who wants to get a, an abortion. Can you tell, remind our listeners about that law? Because we did talk about it on the show uh, several months ago. Well, the, this law, which, was, which came into effect as soon as Roe was overturned, um, is a law which says that, that well, there's two of them. There's, there's the, the law that makes it illegal to have an abortion at all. And then there's the civil law that allows uh, individuals to um, sue anyone who helps anyone uh, go and get a, a, an abortion. And make money on it. And make money on kind it. Kind of like a, a, a bounty kind of thing. Yeah, $10,000 uh, a, a person. Um, and in addition to that, the law now is, is saying that, um, that anyone who aids someone who trying to get an abortion Whatever the time, whatever the result, whether or not, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but there's a 10-year-old child who is pregnant as a result, obviously, of incest, who <laughs> who they are trying to stop, who they want to have. I, they want to force her to have a baby. She's 10. Unbelievable. And... So we're very concerned that even doing the training that we're proposing to do and and providing resources that, um, you know, some prosecutors might decide to, to prosecute us even just for talking about this and trying to be of assistance to people that are facing not only a very difficult personal decision regarding their pregnancy and whether to, to end it or not, but... A, a very serious criminal liability, which somebody could go to prison for a very long time. That's. Uh, I, I think some of us, you know, when this happened, whether what whether you feel one way or another about it, <clears throat> um, have not thought about these ramifications, yes. you know, and and how serious they could be, and how prosecutors could use this as an example uh, to others and use it as a you know. I'm not saying prosecutors are all bad, but prosecutors make their their bones on on prosecuting cases that that appeal to people and uh, their elected officials for the most part. Yes. And so this this becomes a political issue now. It does. Um, um, let's let's wrap up. Um, well, you know what? We don't have any time left. I want to. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, Angel of Death Row is a book available on Amazon, and your new book, Fixing Legal Injustice in America, is also available. And Andrea, can you please give out your contact information if anyone wants to talk to you? Well, I'm easy to find. Just look at andrealion dot com, or you can call me at three one two six two two zero seven three six, and um, I will do my very best to help anyone who needs it.
And I believe that, Andrea. 